Come on, somebody give the Lord a hand of praise in this place. Come on, if we serve a great God, come on, give him some great praise. Come on, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Anybody know our God is worthy to be praised? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For those of you who are watching via the World Wide Web, we want to thank you for the privilege of your time. To everyone under the sound of my voice, we greet you in the grace, peace, joy, and love of God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Love to the family. Thank God for his love that we can share with one another. Come on, let's just make a joyful noise to the Lord. Come on, the old folks say, if I couldn't say a word, I'd just wave my hand. Amen. Amen. Now, for those of you who may be wondering, maybe you're visiting with us today and you're wondering why I'm sitting. I had knee replacement surgery a couple of months ago and uh, I'm feeling a whole lot better. But the Lord has been doing so much through me sitting down. I don't know if I'm going to stand up again. I'm just (laughs) I don't even want to mess with what God is doing. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, hey, let me just stay right here in my seat till the Lord gives me a clear sign. You know what I mean? Uh, But I'm grateful and thankful to the Lord for what the Lord has done and thankful for all of those who are sharing with us on today. Let me congratulate our social justice, our legal assistance ministry for the fourth annual prayer and voter engagement caravan. Um, Our church historically has been at the forefront of fighting for uh, civil rights and social justice on a variety of fronts going back to 1944 and the Supreme Court decision that was argued by Thurgood Marshall, the uh, Smith versus Allwright case. Lonnie Smith was a dentist, he's a trustee here at our church. He was the plaintiff who sued for the right of African Americans to be able to vote in primary elections and specifically in the Democratic primary. You remember. The Dixie Democrats, if you know anything about your history, uh, they were those who were fighting to keep blacks enslaved and were the, um, the those who were fighting for Jim Crow laws and the like. And Dr. Lonnie Smith was selected by then president of the state NAACP, Dr. Albert Anderson Lucas, who was the pastor of this church. And moving forward, we have uh, the likes of the Honorable Barbara Jordan, uh, who is still being celebrated as a trailblazer even today. And many of you may not know when you hear banks talking about the Community Reinvestment Act, um, that law that was passed, Barbara Jordan was one of the authors of that law to help make sure that the Um, misappropriating of funds the misallocating of funds those things that were designed redlining and the like um, that kept african-american communities from being invested in Uh, she was one of the people who was leading that fight Uh, i want to thank all of those who were part of it including the people legal clinic and other nonprofits who are addressing social justice issues Um, You always hear, if you listen to Real World, Real Talk, I quote the late Vernon John, who said, if you see a good fight, get in it. And I always add, if you don't see a good fight, start one. And we certainly want to thank our legal and social justice ministry for getting in good trouble. And um, 
combining not just our vigilance and our social justice platform, um, but also combining it with prayer and making sure that we are honoring God in it all. Rooted and grounded, make some noise. Man, we're so grateful. Now remember, rooted and grounded is our discipleship culture. Rooted is just our baseline curriculum. If you've only done rooted one time, uh, man, I, I apologize. Some of you said to me, boy, Pastor, I didn't know I could do it again. And, and there are those of us who are going to continue to do it for new members who are coming in. But we're going to be launching in January Purpose Driven Life. And that is going to be our next baseline rooted curriculum. Now, don't forget those of you who want to be a member of the church. Discipleship is not an option. This is not spiritual green berets. All of us are called to be disciples of Jesus. And we want to help you to not just become a disciple, but to learn how to make disciples so you can help people who need Jesus come to know him and help people who know Jesus grow in him. We've got a great testimony today about the impact that Rooted and Grounded has had on this brother's life. I want you to hear it today. I love the curriculum. Very clear, uh, very straightforward and concise. And, you know, it's structured in such a way in that, you know, we're taking the lessons, we're taking the scripture and you get the life application. So there's action items to go along with each lesson that we do. Case in point, uh, there is a service project that we do. Uh, now, I wasn't able, just based on schedules, to do the service project with my whole group, but there's a lot of, it's a lot of flexibility there. So I was able to volunteer with the Good Hope Food Pantry, which was awesome. And that was a blessing because I was able to meet, again, other members of the church. By the way, again, I'm not a member at this point. I'm just trying to plug in and understand what Good Hope is all about. I ran into an old college classmate, uh, met some new folks. Uh, one of my, uh, the members of my group happened to be there on that Saturday. I met him and his wife. So we got to talk in more depth. Uh, so that was an awesome experience. And so coming through everything, just gave me confirmation. I mean, now, full disclosure, to be honest, maybe I, I knew from jump that, you know, Good Hope was the place for me, but uh, Rooted and Grounded gave me the confirmation. Uh, so shortly thereafter, as we were rounding out our 10th week, um, I decided to um, join Good Hope, and I'm, I'm so excited about the opportunity to be here and, and to plug in and uh, to pour into others as well as the rest of Good Hope to pour into me. Come on, y'all. Thank God, Brother Johnson. Man, what a blessing. For those of you who may be wondering if you need to be a member to be part of Rooted and Grounded, you don't have to be a member. You don't even have to be local. For those of you who are watching me wherever you are in the world, man, our worldwide launch has been a tremendous success. We have people from 12 different states, three different countries, 
who are participating in Rooted and it's an opportunity for you to plug in. I don't want you to just watch us. Um, I don't want you to just listen. I want you to get involved so that you learn how to live out what you're learning. It's not enough to just learn it and know it. We want you to live it out so you can put your faith into action and we would be honored and privileged for you to be part of our rooted and grounded curriculum we had our prayer experience this past week i think there are just a couple of groups who may not have completed them yet but man what a powerful powerful time how many of you had a great meaningful experience with god during your prayer time come on just give the lord a hand of praise if you did man we had people who were saying man i've never prayed an hour in my life man what a blessing it went by so fast um, we were able to encourage one another in the midst of everything that people are going through. And so it was just a real, real blessing. This week, we're moving into week four. Week four, where is God in the midst of suffering? And I got to tell you today, man, the Lord just put a message on my heart. Um, I had already completed and was finishing up a message. And the end of this week, the Lord just said, no, this is what I need you to do. And uh, I don't know who I'm doing it for, but I know I'm doing it for somebody. And so I'm hoping and praying that you who have ears would hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying to you. Um, certainly grateful is um, Shannon in. There she is. Come on. Come on up here, Shannon, with, with your husband. Let your husband come on up here with you. Her husband. Yeah, you did this before, right? That's right. This is uh, Shannon Nobles. Shannon is running to be the controller of the city of Houston. Um, she is married to Robert Nobles. Robert has been a long time member of this church and a supporter of this ministry. And so grateful and thankful. They have two beautiful girls. And uh, Robert's mom goes on trips with us all the time. I'm always taking yeah stand up mom there's mom right there yeah mom is here from dallas yeah um shannon give me give me your title chief deputy city controller number two person in the controller's office and she has been in the controller's office for 14 years there's nobody that has more experience and more knowledge about what's going on. Uh, when she decided to run, I met with her and I, and I told her, I, I don't know if you want to do this because Shannon, you a Christian, like for real. And them folk, they ain't Christians down there. They don't, they don't, they don't care nothing about Christianity. They would lie in a minute. You sure you want, you sure you want to do this? And uh, she said yes. And so I just wanted you all to see her and know her. Um, we, we thank God for her. We love Robert. We love her. And when you go to the ballot box, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I just want you to know who's a great person. And that's Shannon Nobles. All right. Come on. Y'all thank God for Shannon. She came and worshiped with us at eight o'clock. And so I told her if she can just stay till the beginning of this service. We would just recognize her if she needed to go somewhere else. We would let her do that. Amen. Amen. Where are all of my October birthdays? 
October birthdays. Yes. Well, we're singing happy. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Amen, amen. Well, listen, since it's October the 1st and there's 31 days, it just take you a long birthday month. Not a long weekend. Take the whole month. Amen. You got 31 days. All right. Let's go to God in prayer and ask God's blessings on our time today. Father, we thank you and bless you for your word. We pray now that everything that we do and everything that we say will be pleasing in your sight and that it will bring glory and honor to you. May you be glorified, may your people be edified, and may the devil be horrified as the life-giving, life-changing word of God goes forth. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these blessings. Amen. So growing up, I loved playing sports. Uh, As a boy in New York, we had multiple teams to root for. And I rooted for all of them. I knew all the statistics and I played everything. Baseball, basketball, football, played it all. And one of the principles that every coach emphasized, regardless of whether it was baseball, football, or basketball, was to use two hands. Now, this is way back in the day, y'all. This is way back before... Magic Johnson before no-look passes, before behind-the-back passes. As a matter of fact, uh, Bernard Lee can testify, Ron Ward can testify. If you threw a behind-the-back pass when I was coming up, that made you an assistant coach next to the bench. You were sitting right next to the coach on the bench, right? Uh, When you played football, for example, if the ball was thrown at you, coaches would emphasize catch it with two hands. This is before the days of OBJ and stick them on hands and whatnot. No, you use two hands to catch the ball. When you're running the ball, you make sure you hold it secure with two hands. Baseball, fly ball comes your way. Man, you better not use one hand to catch the ball, trying to look fly out there. No, they would tell you use two hands because if the ball pops out of the glove, you have the other hand up there to help catch it before it falls, right? Um, even when you're carrying something heavy, your mom and dad would tell you if you was trying to carry it with one hand. they said, say, no, 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 use two hands because it's more secure when you use two hands. A prize fighter, a boxer, a boxer can't be successful in the ring if he can only throw a punch with one hand. He's got to be able to use both hands. And for those of you who may not be able to identify with the uh, sports analogies, when you learn how to drive, 
you, you were taught how to drive with two hands. Um, Brother Ware is a driving instructor, and I'm sure he teaches his students, you put your hands at the 10 and what? Two position. That's where you put your hands. You put your hands at the 10 and 2. I don't care how much you listen to music. I don't care how much you want to have a car with a diamond in the back, sunroof top, digging the lean with the gangster lean. Ooh, ooh. I don't care where you are, right? You better put that hand at 10 and at 2. Can I tell y'all something? I learned over the years how to use both of my hands because there was one time I hurt my hand and so I had to learn how to drive with my left hand or drive with my right hand, right? But can I tell you something? Even today, if I'm driving and the police pull up behind me, I'm telling you automatically, instinctively, my hands go to 10 and 2. Don't judge me. Come on, you know you do the same thing. Because we have been taught that two hands are better than one. If you want to hold on to something, if you want to hold it securely, you need to learn to use both hands. Now, some of you may be thinking I'm just talking about sports or I'm talking about a steering wheel, but today I want to share with you a powerful principle that you and I need to get a hold of if we're going to successfully walk this Christian life. Too many of us have a one-handed faith. It's a faith that feels good, but when that faith doesn't turn out to be good, we don't know how to hold on to God in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our trials and tribulations. So today, for a few moments, I want to talk to you from the thought, the power of having a two-handed faith. The power of handing having a two-handed faith. Our text today comes from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your outline, would you say amen? amen? If you need an outline, would you raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. Now, the book of Hebrews, this epistle was written to help those who were part of this community, who were tempted in the midst of controversies, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of calamities, they were tempted to go back to Judaism and go back to putting their faith in Moses. The writer of this epistle wants to assure them that despite what they are going through, they need to make sure they focus on their faith in God and their walk with Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 specifically shares with us what is known as the heroes of the faith or the hall of faith. He highlights people who exhibited faith in God and their faith was rewarded. They received the promises that God made because of their faith. So when you go down that list, you have, for example, Abel, and you see the worshiping faith of Abel who brought a sacrifice to God that was acceptable. You see the walking faith of Enoch. Enoch was a man who walked with God, and the Bible said he did not know death because he was translated to be with God. You see the working faith of a man like Noah 
who built an ark even though it had never rained because God said the rain was coming and I need you to build an ark to save humanity. You see the waiting faith of the patriarchs, specifically Abraham and Sarah, who got a promise that they would give birth to a child through whom the entire world would be blessed. And the Bible says that they had to wait 25 years from the time the promise was given to the time the promise was fulfilled. You have the warring faith of Moses and the winning faith of Joshua and Rahab. But God goes on to name some other people who had some faith experiences and they were successful in their faith experiences. He lays out, for example, in verse 32, Gideon, uh, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. And he says in verse 33, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. They turned their weakness into strength because of their faith. And that's a wonderful example of one-handed faith. But something happens in verse 35. A shift occurs. In verse 35, the text says, women receive their loved ones back again from death, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They place their hope in a better life after the resurrection. So here's the question on the table. What do you do when God doesn't answer your prayers in the way you hoped? What do you do when your faith blows a fuse? When faith loses its luster? When you see a breakdown in your faith because you have not experienced the breakthrough you've been asking for. You see, it's one thing to hold on to a faith and raise a faith banner when everything is going well. It's one thing to raise your banner of faith when you say, I believe God is going to deliver me. But what do you do with your faith when no deliverance shows up? What happens to your faith and where is your faith? Three things I want you to see today around the power of having a two-handed faith. Number one, you need to realize your faith in God will not exempt you from problems in life. Your faith in God will not exempt you from problems in life. Women receive their loved ones. Verse 35 says, Hebrews 11, the New Living Translation back again from death, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at or made fun of, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. Uh, The paragraph 
highlights those who suffered because of their faith. We love to think about faith as the antidote. It's the panacea. It's the thing that the Christian needs to use to get whatever they want whenever they want it. But the scripture is clear that no amount of faith guarantees that you are going to receive what you want or God is going to get you out of what you are going through. And it's amazing because in the passage, listen to what the writer does. He shifts from highlighting individuals to now giving us this anonymous cover for all people, women and men. He says, there are those who believed and still didn't get delivered. They endured in faith no matter what attacked them. They didn't accept defeat. Therefore, they were never defeated. They never denied God. And because they didn't deny God, they were not denied by God. They never lost hope. So they were never hopeless. But faith, listen carefully, did not get them out of the predicaments they faced. Faith got them through. My brothers and my sisters, they had an enduring faith. And so many times in life, we look for an escaping faith when God gives us an enduring faith. As a matter of fact, can I tell you something? It is easier to have an escaping faith than it is to have an enduring faith. Because an enduring faith says, whatever it is I'm going through, I might not get out of it anytime soon, but I believe by faith God can keep me in the midst of what I'm going through. So no matter the circumstance, no matter the difficulty, no matter the threat, no matter the injury, no matter the pain, no matter the torture, no matter the form of execution or death, they endured, they held fast to their profession of faith in God. See, here's the problem. In this era of me-centered theology, egocentrism and pop culture preaching, Uh, We're being taught and we're being told by preachers on TikTok and on Facebook that somehow God owes us something. And one of the things we're being taught is that God owes us deliverance. God owes us to be brought out. So watch this. If you have to go through something, you better check because there might be something wrong with your faith. Because if your faith is right, you won't have to go through the things that other people go through. And if you find yourself going through something, it's temporary at best. But what kind of faith do you have, child of God, when what you go through is intended for your development and not your deliverance? What kind of faith do you have? Because can I tell you something? Many of us who say we have faith in God, really our faith is one-handed because we believe God can get us out, but we don't have that second hand on our faith to recognize that even if he doesn't get us out, God will bring us through and he will do it to bless us in a special way. 
let me give you this definition of faith. I want you to write this down because when the writer talks about faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, that is not a definition of faith. It's a description of faith. So let me give you a definition of faith and write this down somewhere on your outline. True faith in God is confident obedience to God's word and trust in God's will in spite of circumstances and consequences. True faith in God is confidence, obedience to God's word and trust in God's will in spite of circumstances and consequences. Let me give it to you one more time. True faith in God, and it's on the screen, is confident obedience to God's word and trust in God's will in spite of circumstances and consequences. See, our faith is one-handed because we want our faith to change our circumstances. And we think a one-handed faith is obligated to change the consequences. And God says, no, you got to learn how to obey my word and trust my will regardless of the circumstances or the consequences that come your way. Do you have a one-handed fair-weather faith or do you have faith in God that, watch this, trust God that even if you can't make sense out of what you're going through and you can't understand it, you still trust God to do what is in your best interest. Can I tell you all something? We've been going through some things as a church over the last year or two. I've been going through some things personally over the last year or two, and I literally had to recognize and accept the fact that I had a fair weather faith. My faith began to falter because I thought my faith in God would ensure deliverance. I thought my faith in God would ensure us having victory. And God said, your faith should never be in the outcome. Your faith should always be in God. And when my faith is in God, I trust God for the outcome. And the outcome, watch this, may be beyond my capacity to even understand. Because you know his thoughts are not my thoughts. And his thoughts are above my pay grade. And there's some stuff that God can see that I can't see because he not only sees yesterday and today, he sees tomorrow at the same time. Here's the second thing. Number two, you need to realize your faith in God must focus on where you're going, not on what you are getting. Your faith in God must focus on where you're going, not on what you're getting. Look at the C part in verse 35. They place their hope in a better life after the resurrection. They place their hope. Those who were heroes of the faith and those who were anonymous who kept their faith. He says at the end of the day, They put their hope in a better place and a better life after the resurrection. 
Look at verse 38. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Too many of us judge our faith or we judge the faith of other people based on what they have or what they don't have. So we look at people and say, oh, you've got tremendous faith if you're in tremendous debt. If you got a new car, a new house, new clothes, say, yeah, girl, I got faith. I believe God. I trust God. And God wants us to understand that our faith should never be in the stuff we get. Our faith should always be in who God is, listen carefully, and who God is trying to make you into. There was a very popular preacher, if I call his name, you would all know who he is, who believed that Faith was, in essence, the crowbar to open up the chest to the blessings of heaven. And if you did not receive blessings from God, there was something wrong with your faith. Very middle, upper middle class theological position, very Western in its mindset. But it said if you're not driving a certain car, if you're not living in a certain place, if you're not wearing certain clothes, if you don't have certain health, wealth, and prosperity, there's something wrong with your faith. And he preached and taught that for years until his wife got cancer. And he was claiming that she was going to be healed by faith. And, and they have faith the size of a mustard seed. And they can tell that mountain to be moved. And they're telling that mountain of cancer to be moved. But no cancer mountain was moved. They went to treatments because they had faith. Faith was expanded now that God can move through doctors, not just through the prayers of the righteous. But no healing came. And his wife died. And the question on the table was, where was your faith? And what you and I need to understand is that faith will not always result in good times. Faith will not always turn around your situation and turn what was meant for evil into good. Sometimes you're going to have to go through some evil. Sometimes you're going to have to endure some difficulties. Sometimes you're going to have to endure some tough times. Stop narrowly defining faith by what you get and instead define faith by who God wants you to become. Here's the third and final thing. Number three, you need to realize your faith in God will be rewarded eventually, even if not in this life. Your faith in God will be rewarded eventually, even if not in this life. Verse 39, Hebrews 11, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection with us. They were not going to get heaven on earth because of their faith. As a matter of fact, some of them experienced hell on earth 
because of their faith. But they understood that faith required them to live for more than the moment. Faith required them to live for eternity. And so they would not give up eternity with God for a momentary relief or a momentary pleasure. They said, I'm holding on to my faith in God. My brothers and sisters, all of us are challenged. We're all going to be challenged. And there's somebody under the sound of my voice in this place and watching right now. You're being challenged to the point that your faith is beginning to falter. You're wondering, God, what are you doing? God, I've been praying. I've been fasting. I've been fasting. I've been praying. God, why have you not brought me out of this situation? As if something is wrong with your faith. And your faith is still strong if your faith is still in God. Because what God does not bring you out of, God can take you through. And is there anybody in here who can testify looking back on the other side of what you came through? Come here. Come here, somebody. Look, you may not have chosen it before you went through it, but when you came out on the other side, you can look back. You don't have to wonder how you made it over. You can look back and you know it was nobody but the Lord who brought you through and you came out better on the other side of what you went through. Listen, God's will will not always be in alignment with your wants. God's will will not always be in alignment with your wants. Sometimes you want deliverance and God says, no, I got development. You want to be brought out of some stuff. And God says, I got to bring some stuff out of you. I got to get some stuff out of you, get you to where I want you to be so that I can ultimately present you faultless before my throne with exceeding great joy. Faith looks to the future and faith says, I'm putting my trust and my faith in God. There's a passage of scripture that I think epitomizes what it means to have two-handed faith. Uh, in Daniel chapter 3, very familiar story. Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands. Listen to what they say, these three young Hebrew men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't even have to pray about it, king. Our answer is already secure. 
If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, I'm trying to show you the power of two-handed faith. They said, our God can bring us out. But if he chooses not to, whatever he does doesn't change our faith in God. His prerogative doesn't change our view of his power. He can bring us out. That's his choice. If he chooses to bring us out, praise God. But if he chooses not to, we know that what he doesn't bring us out of, he will keep us through. And we got a brighter day tomorrow. So we've got two-handed faith. Somebody under the sound of my voice right now, you need two-handed faith. In other words, you need that one hand to say, God, if you will, if you desire, if it's your will, we believe you can bring us out. Ah, but I got another hand of faith that says if you choose not, we still going to trust you. We're still going to believe you. We're still going to praise you. And I need somebody in here to understand the power of a two-handed faith. A faith that'll keep you no matter whether you rock or roll or roll or rock. Whether you go up or down or down or up, you can hold on because you got two hands on your faith. Have I got a witness in here? Now, now watch this. Let me tell you how powerful it is to have a two-handed faith. We come from a people. I'm talking about black people now who exemplified what it meant to have a two-handed faith. Uh, these weren't fair-weather saints. These, wasn't, these weren't people who loved God because they had been blessed with so many material possessions. I'm talking about people whose names we may never know, who faced slavery, who faced Jim Crow, who faced Patty Riders, who faced the KKK, who faced mistreatment, who faced a criminal injustice system, the likes of which we know not of today. They weren't allowed to march, protest. No, they lost their lives because they stood for what was right. They went into courthouses knowing decisions would come against them because they were never tried before a jury of their peers. But they had faith in God. And they believed that God would bring them out and would bring them through no matter what came at them. We stand on a tradition of people with a two-handed faith who said, for God I'll live and for God I'll die. I've decided to make Jesus my choice. The road may get rough and the going may get tough and the hills are hard to climb. But I started out a long time ago 
there is no doubt in my mind. Have I got a witness in here? Anybody got a two-handed faith to say I'm going to hold on and not let go because my faith is not in my circumstances. My faith is not in my good times or my bad times. My faith is not in whether I'm up or down, but my faith is in the God who's with me when I'm up and down. Have I got a witness in here? I'm like the old song said. I'm holding on to my faith and I won't let go. I believe in the Father and the Son and I'm holding on to my faith. I'm a Christian, thank God. Saved by grace, I'm holding on to my faith. He brought me this far. And he won't leave me now. I'm holding on to my faith. Yes! Yes! Have I got a witness in here? Anybody gonna hold on to your faith? Storms may rage, winds may blow, but that's all right. Cause I'm holding on. I'm holding on. I'm holding on to my faith. Yes! Yes! I may have to suffer, but I'm holding on to my faith. I may have some sleepless nights, but I'm holding on to my faith in God. Father, we thank you and we bless you for this day. God, I pray that as we leave here today, the question is asked in week four, where where are you in our suffering? And you haven't left us. You haven't forsaken us. You're still with us. Help us, God, to take our eyes off of the perceived solution and help us to keep our faith on you, our problem solver. Help us, God, to understand that when we practice a two-handed faith, we not just trust you for what we're going through. You trust, we have to trust you for where we end up in this. Help somebody, God, to know that even when they think they're losing because the results are not what we want, we're still winning because of our faith in you. And you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, God. We're holding on. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.